Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Infilmation with Zach and John. Welcome to For Your Infilmation, where we're going to infilm you on some things, which isn't as illegal as it sounds. Not at all. I'm, <laughs> and I'm, my name is Zach. And I'm John. And today we're going to be taking a look at the 1973 original Wicker Man. This will mm-hmm. be a two-part series where we look at the original and the... Nicolas Cage remake from the early 2000s. Love those early 2000s Nick Cage films. Oh, yes. Just full of overacting and awfulness when you look back at them. Like, who the fuck likes National Treasure? You know what? I'm sure there's some guy sitting alone in his room that has like three National Treasure movie posters up on his wall. And like every weekend, he just sits alone in his room and watches National Treasure three different times. Like, who is this person, and why are they not in a mental institution? Uh, it's a person that thinks he is Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> he, th- he thinks that he is Benjamin Franklin. So when he's not watching National Treasure, he's outside flying kites with keys on them? Uh, yeah, he goes to France in his spare time, and he's got some like really like shady knowledge society pagan thing that he does. I don't know. Speaking of pagans, let's get oh, right yes. into The Wicker Man. Oh boy, The Wicker Man, yeah. This is one that I had been meaning to watch for a long, long time and had never really mm-hmm. gotten around to. Um, I like horror movies. I've probably seen more horror movies than any other type. And this is considered by some to be a horror movie. Um, Well-received. I didn't know this, but people have actually called this the Citizen Kane of horror films. And I can see that to a degree, but... I don't know. I would call something more like The Shining, the Citizen Kane of horror movies. Like, this is okay, but I'm also not sure which version I've watched. Mm. Because there's several different versions floating around, because when it came to the United States and it's in, in its original release, uh, they cut it from 99 minutes to about 87. So there's a lot of um, narrative points that are missing. Interesting. From, from a lot of copies that are out there. And I happened to, when I rewatched this, I rented it from YouTube, and I believe it's the original US cut because it was only about an hour and 28 minutes, which would have made it 88 minutes. So it's not the full 99 minute cut that was originally released in Scotland. I also watched it through a YouTube rental. Uh, kind of a hard movie to find, turns out. Uh, this is yeah. definitely one of those films that I would like to have. Maybe like a collector's edition of. I don't know if that exists, but if I were someone who collected movies, maybe kind of like you, uh, I would be interested in finding an original 99-minute cut of this film. And I think 
there is a version of that floating around. I think it's a um I think it's a multi-region release because this is a film that was made in London, filmed on location in Scotland. So I think it's a multi-region release. So it'll look a little different. And I think it's only available on DVD. I might be incorrect. Well, DVD or Blu-ray doesn't really matter. Uh for our purposes, I enjoyed mm-hmm. this film. I thought it was pretty cool. And uh let's do a little bit of a dive into there. Although, I will say as a a closing thought on that, apparently Rod Stewart dated Mm -hmm. one of the actresses from this film and tried to destroy all the copies of this movie. And apparently there's a bunch of original film reels buried under the M3 highway in the UK. What? Yeah, found that out. Don't know how true that is, but in the little bit of digging that I did about the background of this film, um, it was the actress that plays uh, Willow, who is uh, a Scandinavian girl, uh, a model, an actress, um, apparently he didn't like that scene and he wanted to, uh, eliminate some of the evidence that it existed. So, uh, they were like, oh no, don't worry about it, man. We used it as filler on the M3. Jesus. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess I can understand not wanting your girlfriend to be, um, fully naked on screen, but we'll get to that. We'll In fairness, that. she had a butt double. She had a, oh, she did have a butt double. So that was not her, that was not her aunt. No, I don't think so. Anyway, we're, we're getting a little off base here. We'll come back to that. Um, Wicker Man, 1973, directed by Robin Hardy and based on the novel Ritual by David Pinner. Uh, kind of loosely based, as I understand it. And mm-hmm. Robin Hardy has really only made about four, four movies. Yeah, he only made about four movies, and he wrote a book that is technically a sequel to this movie. And I believe there's a film adaptation known as The Wicker Tree. Yes. We're going to have to hit that one at some point if we end up liking the uh, the remake, the 2006 remake of this movie. Spoiler, you won't. <laughs> like, you know what, man? I'm willing to take it as it is. Uh, budget for this was 500,000 Great Britain pounds. Hmm. What does that come out to in American dollars? Uh, about a half million there, roughly. Actually, honestly, it might be a little less than half million. Uh, the 70s was not a great economic time in the UK. Um, the Great British Pound wasn't worth as much, if memory serves. So that's going to be a more comparable comparison because the the pound is usually a little over the dollar. Hmm. Okay. But uh, as far as I know, it uh, the box office return was actually quite low, uh, coming in only about like fifty eight thousand dollars. Yeah, like I said, because this was um, released as a B movie, it was re- in the in the United States, and that's where most movie companies make their money is in the United States. Mm -hmm. It was released as a B-picture to Don't Look Now, which was also a horror film. Interesting. But you see, we're talking about The Wicker Man. We're talking, not talking about, um, what is it? Don't. Don't Look Now. Don't Look Now. Well, yeah, but it was, um, you know, like when it would, you'd go to the drive-thru and there'd be double features, there would be an A movie and a B movie. So the A movie was the main feature. And then the B movie was like what everyone made out through. Oh, well, the only drive-thru double feature I'm trying to get is that In-N-Out double-double. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) you fucking west coast piece of shit yeah man when you come out here you gotta try the in and out i want to just because i've heard so much about it but is it better than shake shack is it i don't know that i've ever actually eaten at shake shack if i'm being totally honest well when you come out here we're going to shake shack you know who else hasn't eaten shake shack Mm. sergeant howie sergeant howie Poor bastard. Poor Let's get bastard. into it. Okay, yeah. So Sergeant Howley is a uh, police officer from the mainland uh, somewhere in Scotland. I wish I could remember exactly where. You think one would figure this out by now, but I just don't have the ear or the the, the, the eye for this type of thing. So he flies in. Uh, he's a police officer coming onto the aisle. Uh, I guess it's Summer Isle in Scotland. Summer Isle. Summer mm-hmm. Isle to uh, investigate the disappearance of a girl, Rowan Morrison. 
Rowan Morrison. She uh, has gone missing somehow, but the town doesn't seem very um, very keen on finding her. Not at all. Um, it's a beautiful place. Most of Scotland is. Uh, I've never been there, but I've seen a lot of pictures, I guess. Uh, does that count? I mean, ultimately, movies are just pictures, right? So everything that I know from a movie is just for pictures. Um, yeah. He flies in on a seaplane or an amphibious plane. Awesome, by the way. I definitely want one of those so I can live my Jimmy Buffett lifestyle. Um, <laughs> and flies in, meets the people in the town, and like you said, they immediately deny knowing this girl. And it's kind of weird. At first, it doesn't seem like that much. But once the, he starts walking around in the town, meeting other people, he goes to the post office where her mother is. And she also, at first, pretends to not know who that is or oh, yeah, she's fine, or whatever. And then the story starts changing, and that's where the police work starts. Mm-hmm. And it's a slow descent down the rabbit hole, as it were. Yes, and it really sets up on the wrong foot immediately by kind of harassing people and interrogating people, really doing a little bit of that flex and a bit of a young gravy there. So he goes and talks to uh, her mother, uh, talks to Myrtle, this girl there that says that Rowan is a hare. Um, doesn't know what that is. It comes later on to be a lot more important. That just seems like a tidbit, like, oh, the kid's talking about the rabbit, I guess, or the kid's has a pet rabbit, or I, I don't know, something like that. Something really inconsequential that ends up being really important later. So remember that. Remember that for the end of this. Um, goes rabbit around hole. town. Yeah, rabbit hole. Mm. Uh, the Green <laughs> Man Inn. The Green Man, this is where things really start to take off and where the plot really starts to set in motion. You see some of the characters and you really start to understand kind of the, the weird nature of what's going on here. This is an isolated Scottish community um, and come to find out they have more traditional beliefs, uh, even more traditional than what everybody else in the UK would consider to be traditional. Um, mm -hmm. He goes in and he's hanging out with everybody. Bars used to be way more fun. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. I want to go to a bar like this. You got like a 17-year-old sitting over here drinking scotch and smoking a cigarette. Uh, you got all these guys hanging out playing, uh, I don't know, fiddles and um, squeeze boxes. Uh, there's a technical word for that instrument. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's not an accordion. It's a uh, uh, concertina. Or something like that. Okay. Oh, we, I used to sell them. I used to sell them when I worked at the music store. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. I mean, you know, the Scots are known for drinking. I am a Scot, so I feel like I could say that. I'm um, not going to stop you. And, you know, it, it just seemed like such a simpler time. Like, watching this movie, it just seemed so simple. And, like, the how you scare people. People just seemed so so much more simple to me. It did. And also, when you can walk into a place and complain directly to the person making your dinner, that it's dumb. <laughs> complaining that it's dumb and then also complaining about where the food's coming from. Like, he's kind of being a dick here. And in fairness, he doesn't know. He doesn't know what he's doing right then. But making the comment on the fact that the produce is not there, it's not fresh. It's like, well, I thought Summer Isle was known for its fresh produce. It is, but it's not there. And we're going to... That becomes a, a plot point, a major plot point. There is no produce. And it become it becomes incredibly evident that, you know, that they're all eating things from cans. Like, you see it throughout the film. Because mm -hmm. they aren't able to make their own food. So that takes us into the next spot where he actually leaves the inn after kind of hanging out with these guys for a little bit. And um, does a little bit of investigating at nighttime. People kind of popping out of the windows uh, all day looking at him. And now they don't seem to care. Now they're just boning in a field. Now, it's like a maybe a ritualistic group sex. Mm-hmm. This was the only scene that I, I didn't necessarily understand. Like, it, I, I guess it was supposed to be disorienting, but mm -hmm. it was it was definitely, like, it made me feel weird, almost. Mm. Like, it was just kind of jarring. Like, I, 
I feel like a little more explanation would have done well there. And this might have been one of the points where a little more narrative might have been needed and might have been in that 99 minute cut. That's a good point. And maybe it is. Um, you know what? Maybe we should just like bit the bullet and gotten one of those things. I don't know how to do that. I'm, I'm not like a like a film historian. How do you go about getting that? Well, in the 99 minute cut. Well, I think it exists. It's just you have to buy it. And I didn't know that going in. Mm. We're going to have to get better at this as time goes on. We're learning. We're becoming yes. professionals. Well, I mean, this is the theatrical cut. So, and just for anyone's information, this is this is what we're going to do. We will review and analyze the theatrical cut because that is what was originally released to the public. And if no other version had existed, that's what we would have to go on. Exactly. None of this revisionist bullshit. Revisionist bullshit. So um, speaking of revisionist bullshit, um, Sergeant Howie goes back to the hotel. This Frodo Baggins looking guy that runs the bar, hands him his key, goes upstairs. Um, and he, he prays and has a flashback about church. And so it becomes very evident early on that he is a Christian, a, a good old mm -hmm. British Christian man. Um, I'm going to go boy. ahead and say British. I don't know if he's an Anglican or a Catholic. I don't really know how that plays into the story or if that particular detail matters because this is the diametrically opposed sides of this story where he is a very traditional Christian man representing the law and everybody else on Summer Isle is not. They're kind of free-spirited pagans because we begin to see very quickly that the ritual sex and then the kind of uh, a call of the wild seduction kind of thing that happens when Willow does a sexy dance. I don't really know why that happened other than for aesthetical reasons or if it's like all in his head. But afterwards, she, she, she was said, trying to seduce him. Yes. They're, and they're, it, they're trying to get him to stay on the aisle. And in the moment, I did not know that in the moment, it just kind of seemed like he was dreaming or something. But afterwards, after this whole sequence, which is pretty well done considering how this is not really a high-budget film. This is not really... I, I, don't, I don't know how much dance sequences like that cost to make. There's a lot of cutting around, I guess. Um, I mean, just paying your editor a little more, I suppose. Hmm. Well, you gotta get that butt double, too. <laughs> um, yeah, you definitely gotta pay the butt double. The 70s it, were fun. It's a thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just some recent examples. Um, in uh, the Game of Thrones series, mm -hmm. uh, they had a body double for uh, Amelia Clark as Daenerys Targaryen. There's only a couple of scenes where she actually appears. Naked. Yeah. And everything else is a body double. Mm. And I guess in this particular case, you got a butt double. I guess that wasn't okay. And you know what? Whatever. Let that be that. The 70s were more fun. The 70s were more fun. Where it's just like, I'm cool with showing my tits, but my ass is another thing. Get the double! Everybody's got standards, and that's okay. Uh, this is... I think it's always funny looking back on this, because this was almost... I mean, geez, this was almost 50 years ago that this movie came out. Mm -hmm. And you get this back then, and then nowadays, this is still considered kind of a... I don't want to say an edgier thing, but it's still considered graphic in film. Yeah, um, full frontal nudity is always um, frowned upon by the MPAA and will um, always land you an R rating, even if it's, you know, a woman breastfeeding her child, which also happens in this movie. But um, true, it's, um, it's very strange. Um, you'll find this as we watch more European cinema. 
they don't view nudity the way that we Americans do. Not at all. And I found that even in uh, a lot of American cinema from the 70s, it was a more relaxed attitude toward nudity specifically, even sexuality, but just nudity in general. Um, yes. Where that was just kind of accepted and that was kind of cool. And nowadays, I, I don't know, I feel like we've weaponized nudity on screen. Yes. Um, it's almost as if nudity has to mean something or it specific purpose is pornography exactly and, and that's completely false yeah and that's not how the europeans view it um they view more of some of the violent things that we do in our films as pornography like Agreed. it's um it, it, the lines are starting to get blurred a little bit uh, the more i watch more modern cinema because um you know swearing used to be a really really big deal in u.s movies like as far as what your rating would get like uh south park uh bigger longer and uncut which we'll have to do at some point, almost got slapped with an NC-17 just because of the language they use. So, so, like, the rating system here and, like, culturally what we accept as, you know, redeemable qualities in a movie is, you know, just very different than Europeans because this, this was not, this movie would not have been a big deal to them. There was no graphic sex happening. There was no, you know, graphic nudity. And also it's, it's kind of a so what attitude exactly like, this this is a real life thing this is things that people do not everyone's going around like you know murdering people right and that was one thing that i noticed this is like they do kind of incorporate murder um and we'll get there well, but yes. we'll get it's there. but that even that is not graphic whereas if this mm -hmm. scene would still in american cinema be considered graphic for other reasons and that reason being nudity so I'll get off my soapbox on the whole nudity thing. She shows up and she's talking to him and then he goes to bed and he's quote unquote dreaming, but it's really that she is in fact trying to seduce him. I don't know if that's like a, like a telepathy thing or what's going on, or she truly just has the power of that booty. Double. Well, he's obviously attracted to her and he could tell that she's what she's trying to do. She'd also invited him to come visit her in his room while they were while she was serving him. Exactly. And that's what made me think at first that, okay, maybe he's reconsidered. Maybe he's dreaming about it or something. Um, but then turns out, no, the next day she brings it up. Yeah. She like she basically came out and said, yeah, I was trying to fuck you. Yeah, exactly. So it's another one of those like laid back attitudes in this particular case. It's all in the UK, but he has a very traditional conservative view of it. And she has a more relaxed kind of, uh, I don't want to say pagan view on it, but different view on it than what you would expect out of like more traditional kind of view on sexuality. Um, and that is persistent throughout this whole movie. And that's where we're going to go next. So the next day he starts investigating, he goes to the school and he sees the Maypole celebration and they just come outright and say, that's a phallic symbol. No bones yeah. about it. No bones about it. Can you imagine? Uh, I don't know. These kids are probably like, what, 12, 11? 12, 13, yeah. Yeah, and they're all dancing around the maypole, and then the teacher's like, it is a phallic symbol. Could you imagine talking about a phallic symbol in the 6th or 7th grade? That I concept? I did with sex ed. Uh, yeah, but that, oh, not the same thing. Not the same thing. <laughs> not the same thing. Uh, they definitely that... weren't preaching abstinence there. No, absolutely not. They're gonna celebrating it a little bit again with kind of the pagan stuff moving in. And once he goes in and starts talking to the kids and looks at the roster and he calls them out and saying, you know this person, but you're claiming to not know this person, that person being Rowan Morrison, the girl he's looking for, it goes downhill and that they kind of break down and say, hey, this is what we teach. 
Rowan Morrison's not dead. She's just returned to the earth. And that's where it becomes very apparent to the viewer that paganism is playing a huge part in the culture of the island and in the plot of the movie. Mm -hmm. And before we move too far from this scene, I want to go back and talk about the the beetle in the desk. Okay. Because I th I thought this was brilliant. Um, it's it's a masterclass in foreshadowing because you don't you don't as the viewer know what's going on at first. Um, so the one of the girls in the classroom has put a nail on the inside of her desk and tied a beetle around its neck to the nail, and it's going around and around and around until eventually it's going to hang itself because it doesn't realize what it's doing. It's just trying to get out. Mm -hmm. And that's a brilliant bit of foreshadowing for the finale of the film because all the while, while this is all going on in the town and our officer is trying to figure, figure it out, he doesn't realize that he's falling right into their trap. See, here I was thinking that the nail and the beetle was just a festive miniature maypole. No, it's, um, because it, when you think about it, it's like the beetle is going around and around and around and around trying to figure out how to get out of this thing, and then it's eventually going to die. You in know that what, process. man? I'm glad that you noticed that, because that would have slipped right by me. Yeah, I, I didn't think about it until, this was probably my second or third time watching the movie, and I was like, oh, that's freaking cool. Now, I would be interested to know how much of that came from the novel and how much of that came from the writing and, I, I guess, screenwriting. Um, I'm sure the concept exists in the book, but being able to portray it well on screen and get the point across is something else. Yeah. Also, this was days and days and days before CGI, so I think they actually killed that beetle. You know what, man? After seeing some of the stuff that they did back in the day with animals on set, and I mean, I, I'm not even phased anymore. Just the, no. like the turtle scene from Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, yeah. They for I mean, sure smashed that turtle. Yeah, they they 100% murdered that turtle. Ugh. That 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 scene still gets to me. I can't watch that movie because I know that scene's gonna happen and. Ugh. That's the scene that makes you not be able to watch that movie. Well, the rest of it's fake. <laughs> That's fucking real. I can't do it. Like you see the goddamn turtle's heart still beating. Like, ugh, ugh. If bye. only bye 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 bye. <laughs> if only they'd invested more in the special effects department. Well, apparently they invested a little too much because they almost got arrested for making this movie. They had to go to court and prove that all of these actors were still alive. And just to clarify, we are still talking about Cannibal Holocaust, not The Wicker Man. Yes, this is Cannibal Holocaust, which I guess is kind of in line with this movie. So it's, um, it's supplemental viewing if you want to go into that. Don't. So, <laughs> mo <laughs> moving on from the schoolhouse scene, um, they go back to the post office sweet shop, and uh, the mom is trying to put a frog in Myrtle's throat to cure her sore throat. Again, hinting toward these more traditional practices, he is kind of bewildered by that. He doesn't really understand that. And then they start talking about the apothecary or the chemist of the town. Uh, he goes there. And uh, he's really kind of hitting everyone hard looking for evidence. Um, I know the legal system's a little different over there, but everyone keeps trying to say like, oh yeah, you, you need a warrant or you need to go talk to Lord Summer Isle. And he's like, nah, give me that evidence right now. And they just kind of go along with that. I don't know if that was like a sign of the times thing or a way that they did things or like how that worked. Or maybe he is just a bit of a loose cannon cop, but he's going around all these places trying to collect all this evidence. Um, goes into the apothecary shop. There's like a, there's like a jar of foreskins. Mm -hmm. And there's like a bunch of not appetizing things. That's the only way I can really describe them. 
uh, like, in and around the shop. I think the thing that got me was the uh, the piglets in the bath. Oh like, yeah, the fetal pigs. Oh, they're fetal pigs. Okay. I'm pretty sure they are. Um, anyone who knows witchcraft, please explain to me what you use fetal pigs for, because I'm interested. You know, I was wondering the same thing, and that was one thing that I noted while I was watching this. And that why is it always the nastiest stuff that gets used in these types of rituals? Um, I guess because no one goes looking for them. <laughs> I, I like, guess if some you know witch walks up to you and is like, "Can I have these fetal pigs? I need them." And they'll go, yeah, fucking whatever. Give me $5 and don't talk to me ever again. You know what, man? I weird, I, guess weird woman. I just, again, with the witch thing and the California, the, uh, I don't even know, esoteric thing, I think that we need to make a shift back to this more traditional type of paganism. Nowadays, you can go on the internet and buy a vial of witch dust. I don't even know what witch dust is. Is it the ground up green bones of the Wicked Witch of the West? But I guess so. You can I buy mean, all this stuff. You can buy your little multicolored candles and your like show dagger and set up your little altar with like a twelve inch baphomet that you bought off Amazon. And I don't feel like that's the spirit of witchcraft. <laughs> no, and like we'll need to do more research. We'll do a deep dive on witches at some point. You Perhaps we'll watch a witch movie. Mm, well, there are many. Uh, could you consider this a witch movie? Um, no, I would consider this a cult. Not not a cult classic film, but in that it is about a cult. I would consider it more in that line with, um, you know, like we said, Cannibal Holocaust or the recent movie Midsummer, which um is very, very similar to this movie, but in different ways. And I think a better movie. <laughs> so but, when you say similar to this movie this is a more modern movie yes yeah midsummer just came out this year so is it about like a bunch of millennials burning a man alive so that they can charge their crystals in the firelight um no and when i say similar i should just say um in setting they are similar mm, it has okay. to do with a uh you know like a scottish cult you know and it has they have the maypole in there and everything like this is something that's fascinated people for years, like these um, these pagan traditions. Agreed. Um, there are a couple of movies, even within the American circuits, that came out. Uh, Horror Hotel, I think it's from 1960, mm -hmm. although that was like 13 years before this one. Um, that's one that I have seen, and I've seen several times. Uh, that kind of hits on the whole witchcraft thing. Well, this is maybe not so much a pagan thing or an occult thing, but more of a witchcraft thing. That's like a devil worshipy witchcraft type thing, and... Mm -hmm. It's different, but it's still there. It's in the mind of the, I don't want to say the pop culture, but I mean, it's been there and it's been done. Um, there's been operas that center around this sort of thing. There have been novels centered around this sort of thing. Ever since people have been around, people have been interested in the darker side of nature. Yeah. And like, you know, what you have to do to bend nature to your will. Or bend yourself to nature's will. Mm. So speaking of bending yourself to the will... I don't know if that's a good transition or not. But uh, on the trip over to, to see Lord Summer Isle, um, this is where he's going to, well, Sergeant Howie is going to have it explained to him how things work, what are all these things he's seeing, why did I ride a carriage through what's essentially a Led Zeppelin music video to get to your castle? Because let me tell you, there were not a lot of bras being worn. <laughs> well, they were, uh, they were jumping over the fire, I guess, to burn their pubes, maybe? I don't know. Like, you know what I? Oh, that, what, what what's that thing? That that horrible, horrible Urban Dictionary thing? Amazon firefighter? Um. Okay, I'm intrigued. Go ahead. Well, I'm pretty sure that it's where you light someone's pubic hair on fire and then you put it out. And I'm gonna let your imagination fill in the blanks on how you put the fire out. Um, I can think of several things. 
things, but okay. Um, I, I hope no one's actually doing that. If you are, stop. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But Dangerous. I mean, Third degree that's... burns on your labia is not fun. Hey, man, it is what it is. Uh, as is the nature of the things. I'm, I'm trying to pull like a like some kind of a, a witchy, esoteric, like Crowley-esque thing out of my ass, and it's not working. Well, pulling stuff out your ass is a very Crowley thing to do. <laughs> but I digress. So he rides the carriage through the orchard. There's a bunch of like ladies with flowers in their hair, and like that seems really kind of cool. Again, let's up a music video. If there ever was one, that's it. And then they go by the little stone structure, um, circle stones, stone circle, Stonehenge. This is like kind of a Stonehenge type thing, which seems to make a lot yes. of appearances in like Celtic paganism. Um, and is very fascinating. So they have their whole thing there. He goes up to the castle, which I wish I knew more about castles because that's a pretty sweet castle. And it's a really nice castle, you know, and it's so nice compared to the rest of the town. I'm wondering, like, is he keeping all the money from the apples himself? Well, you see, what like... he's doing is he's got a little bit of a Monsanto thing going on because his great-grandpa yeah. came here and bought up some land and then he made a new variety of fruit. And then they started producing that. So I can only imagine that he's keeping some royalties on every crop that comes out of there. Yeah. It's like, and also like, what is the, what is, are, are they socialist here? Like, I can't tell. Like I, I was looking for a hint of like, maybe like a red scare kind of thing, but I didn't see, cause I didn't see anyone purchasing anything, but they definitely have shops. It takes a village to raise a child. And it also <laughs> takes a village to slaughter a child. It takes a village to pretend to slaughter a child. There you go. Um, that, that, that's the tagline. That's the tagline for this film. Okay. <laughs> it takes a village to pretend to slaughter a child. Did we ruin the movie? Oops. Sorry. Come see it anyway. So Lord Summerisle enters, played by Christopher Lee. Awesome job. Uh, come to find out, Christopher Lee didn't actually get a paycheck for this movie. He just did this to separate himself from his reoccurring role as Dracula in the Hammer Horror Dracula series. Which he is he actually enjoyed making this movie a lot. I guess he just felt, felt felt free to be him. He felt free. He he felt free for Lee to be Lee, man. Lee uh, to be was, Lee. This was this was his people's. I was gonna say he really really leaned hard into that whole early seventies thing. He he looks straight like a Bob Dylan type with his sweater and his haircut and his I don't know uh, what am I trying to say sideburns. Yeah yeah sideburns. sideburns. We're gonna go with sideburns. So he tells him about it. He, uh, Sergeant Howie gets permission to go exhume the body of Rowan Morrison. He goes out to the graveyard with that creepy grave digger dude. And um, there's a hair in the grave. Just like Myrtle said. Just like the kid said. I guess they, I guess they stabbed it because there's evident blood wounds on it. Um, I kind of want to know if that's a real rabbit or not. <laughs> You know what? Based on how everything else has gone in these like early seventies, late sixties horror films, I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, it, it looked real enough, and I was just like, Ugh. after exhuming the body, he goes back to the castle and he calls out Lord Summer Isle and says that she was murdered under circumstances of pagan barbarity, which I think kind of brings to a head his opposed attitude toward everything they're 
doing. He is clearly not approving of everything going on on this island, and he is not afraid of saying it, and he is not making any friends. No, it, they're trying to escort him out. Well, escort. Escort him out, quote unquote, as it were. But it, it definitely seems like they're just like, oh, we've heard this before. You're just, you're being a hater. Like, oh, that's very much hate. the attitude they're giving is like, you're being a hater. Come Hater's on. gonna hate. Hater's gonna hate. All up in my ritual sacrifice and my sex magic. Yeah, man. Get out of here. If it's not for you, then it's not for you. So, uh, at this point, he goes investigating with Reckless Abandon. He breaks into the chemist's shop. He finds some photo negatives. He develops some of them and sees that the crops failed in 1972. That's where he associates Rowan Morrison with the sacrifice, with the failure of the crops, goes to the library, and does a little bit of research on the May Day celebrations and all that stuff, and that librarian was not thrilled to see him in there. He just comes in there screaming like, what have you got? What have you got about the payday celebrations? And then she's just like, oh, this bitch again. <laughs> like, oh God, or oh, sun God, I guess. Sun God, uh, not, not raw, some other kind of sun God. There are a lot of sun gods out there. Yeah, and we, and we don't have time to go through all of that. Uh, not at all. That, that, that's not our purpose here. So um, they would sacrifice animals if the produce wasn't enough. And then they would sacrifice humans if it got real bad. And that's where he gets the suspicion that that's what's going to happen to Rowan Morrison if it hasn't happened already. So this is when the May Day celebrations get underway. He tries to leave because they've suggested, oh, well, if you don't like this, you're not going to like the May Day celebration. So I'd suggest you find your way out of there. Goes to his plane to find it doesn't work. Now, riddle me this. These people live on an island. They live a very traditional lifestyle. They were surprised to see a plane at all. Yeah. And yet, they were able to row out to an amphibious plane, disable it, just so that it doesn't work and you well, can't figure out why. I mean, and make it look like no one to was be out. fair, he didn't, he didn't open up the engine. They may have just thrown a fucking rock in there or something. I guess that's possible, but... If it won't, I don't, I don't mean to get into this whole thing, but if you're going to disable a plane like that, he didn't even turn the engine over. It just like doesn't have battery power. Okay, well, maybe, maybe they took the battery out. I mean, they may have just been pretending to be simple folk. He didn't even check. Oh, well, I mean, true facts. So let, let me, I didn't say this movie was perfect. Let me put it to you this way. Uh, you hop in your car and you put the key in and nothing happens at all. What's the first thing you do? Battery battery every time oh battery must be dead oh battery must be disconnected oh i need to jump i don't know what they're gonna jump them off of a tugboat they don't even have one of those things they're just like use the dinghy to get everywhere it's like yeah. minecraft or something minecraft cult edition you know what man i'm down he ends up staying he tells them he's going to go back to his room and sleep for a little bit he's seeing kind of these people walking around in masks and seeing all this weird stuff um, tries to sleep. They try to put him down. He's not having any of it. He puts that hand candle all over the floor. Which, I guess, I don't know how that didn't catch on fire. Also might be a slight um, foreshadowing as well, because it's a uh, burning hand. Mm, not to be confused with Burning Man. <laughs> burning hand, Burning Man. Is you know. this the original Burning Man festival? <laughs> um, I do believe that it might have been slightly, you know, inspired by this. We'll, we'll get there. So, he uh he he evades their attempt to put him out and put him under. Uh, he attacks this Frodo Baggins barkeeper guy again. Um, steals his costume. Looks the like fool. the blue meanie. <laughs> so he gets in the fool's costume. He goes and he starts participating in the May Day parade. That guy in the dragon costume is for sure hiding a boner under there. Oh, for sure. Just ain't 
massive erection. He's probably not wearing anything under it either. I can't Absolutely tell if he not. is or not. No, he's Donald Duck in it. He's Donald Duck in it. Just a shirt, no pants. Yep. And that shirt happens to be a big tented costume. Hell yeah. I mean, it's is he wearing pants? Technically. I'm not here to judge. You know what, man? This guy, Sergeant Howie, runs through the whole town. He ends up infiltrating their little celebration. And he kept up with it pretty good. They only noticed once or twice that he wasn't dancing. Um, or at least not like the fool should dance. Um, well, I think they knew. But we're getting there. We are. So he infiltrates it. He thinks he's going to get it. He thinks he's going to solve the case. He thinks he's going to find Rowan Morrison. Christopher Lee is doing an excellent job again. They get to the stone circle, and they start chopping off heads. Or they say they're going to chop off the heads. And then they chop it off, and it's all a game. And he's like, what happened? Was was this it? Was this a sacrifice? What are you guys doing? And they're like, no, down to the beach. So then they throw some beer <laughs> in the water. No, no, you silly fool. Come with us. We're going to show you what real sacrifice is. <laughs> So they get and to the beach. And then he goes like a dumbass. Yeah, he absolutely does. Uh, Rowan Morrison appears and he says, this is my moment. He goes and he gets her and they run up through and it's a setup. It's it's one of the best setups of all time. This is like an M. Night Shyamalan plot twist on crack because I felt duped. I legitimately did not see this coming. I didn't realize what was happening until it happened. And let me tell you, I felt dumb afterwards. You shouldn't feel dumb. It's um, it's definitely one of the better plot twists I've seen, and I think it doesn't get enough credit because they were they were acting real good, and there were also there was also evidence of it hap- of that that was going to happen. But if you didn't know the end, you wouldn't have seen the you know little foreshadowings. That's true. That's true. And it so all makes sense afterwards. And yeah, and it's I think that's the thing is like I like when a plot twist is warranted. Like they built up to this happening, so I didn't feel. Duped. I was just like, ah, ha ha. Got him again. I see. Anyway, so they um they they duped him. He's a fool in a fool's costume. I'm a fool in a fool's shoes. <laughs> Continue on. Let's let's trudge along to the end here. Well, honestly, it's all downhill from here. Uh, it's everything that we thought it was gonna be once you realize what's happened. And they say that. You made yourself the perfect sacrifice. Everything that you did coming here, everything that you did while you were here, and everything you did to stay here all made you the ideal candidate to get sacrificed to our sun god. And just the look on his face is just like, well, I'm not doing that. And they're like, where are you going to go? Exactly. Where are you going to go? You're going to go inside the Wicker Man. (laughs) Inside the Wicker Man. It's basically a roach motel for animal sacrifice. And one human. And at one. the heart of the man. The heart of the wicker man is the man himself. The wicker man. Now, I found this to be really interesting. And when they're, uh, I guess, talking? Or maybe he's trying to rationalize with them. It really seems to be like a table turning where you think traditionally and how kind of the quote unquote old gods were forced out of Celtic society and have come back to Summer Isle in the same way. They are forcing the quote unquote new god out of their own society that they have come together and they have total control here. And I always thought that like this is maybe a more original example, but I I find this to be a bit cliche in a lot of movies where it's quite obvious that they're turning a table on like a conventional idea. And when does that stop being original? Um it's never original because everyone's always trying to just one up whatever came before it. Like okay, so we're doing the same thing basically, but let's do it different right everyone wants their moment everybody wants to 
I, I guess, feel introspective or feel like they're contributing to a greater conversation by changing a perspective. But when we look at it, we're like, okay, yeah, we get it. Like, you know, they persecuted this, the guys and now these guys are persecuting the other guys. Like, okay, we get it. They turn the tables like, ah, it's cool. But like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that it was weak in this film because I don't think that it was. I think that this is a very appropriate time and place for this. And I think that it was a more original way of doing it. Going with the Scottish pagan, not Scottish specifically, but like Celtic paganism and putting it in that time and place. It, mm-hmm. it made sense. It, it did. And considering like the counterculture in the 60s and 70s, kind of this back to the land, return to the earth kind of thing that was going on. It was very popular, kind of groovy. Um, lots of bush and they <laughs> lots of bush lots of groovy gravy gro- oh, oh i never ever want to hear that word again um groovy gravy numbers no oh, oh no 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 we're, we're gonna stop that right now we we, we don't do that here we don't do that here. That, another movie i haven't seen just just throwing that one out there okay so um, a- anyway um i feel like in this movie it makes sense i feel like that turning of the tables really does contribute to it um well not just to the movie but to the meaning of the story and i think that it really intensifies the position that sergeant howie finds himself in Mm -hmm. because he is the law he feels as though he is the law he feels as though he's the law but he is now being chosen as the sacrifice of the lawless exactly exactly and they burn him they burn him at the stake more or less am i wrong well yes and no I also kind of thought that this uh, sacrifice was interesting, especially given the Wicker Man itself, mm-hmm. which um, if you haven't seen the movie and you don't know what we're talking about, the Wicker Man is not a new character. It is a um, large man made out of wicker that they are going to burn. Mm-hmm. And I saw, you know, like there's a bunch of animals and all kinds of other things in there. I'm like, oh, so this is kind of like a Noah's Ark thing as well. Like they're sacrificing this old way for the new way. And they're they're sending some of their crops and their animals and a person along with them. So like the old shit can perish so that new shit can thrive. Exactly. And also so that they can sell a lot of really overpriced tickets so that people can go be nude and dusty in the desert. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you're talking about Burning Man, yeah, it's um, it's definitely got some pagan shit in there. Um, I know <laughs> a lot of babies are born at Burning Man, or <laughs> conceived at Burning Man. Yes, and I don't know if it would be appropriate to call Burning Man the modern-day Woodstock, because apparently Woodstock is still happening. I actually know a guy who went to a Woodstock in, I want to say, like, 2009 2010 Mm -hmm. and he said like it was a concert yeah it's um the thing that was significant about you know the 70s woodstock was it was just um some guy was like hey here's this field we should invite all these big artists at the time to come here and they did and then people camped out and did drugs and all those things lots of drugs lots of sex lots of nudity and it's just that was it was the epitome of the counterculture at the time and that's why it's culturally significant because otherwise yeah it's just a concert I think that while the Wicker Man has a time and place that it occupies and is relevant, I think that it represents a more pure side of this counterculture idea than does, say, a Woodstock 1969 type situation. And that this is more of the return to the earth, natural living, don't want to live in the uh, conventional society, quote unquote. So like they kind of reject modern religion. They kind of reject modern ways of life. They are growing fruit in a place where they really shouldn't be growing fruit, but they're able to do it anyway. Kind of make forging their own path by the way of the quote unquote old gods. Where you look at the other side, it's like, yeah, live off the land. And then they're just like 
throwing trash everywhere and doing a bunch of acid. Yeah. I like where this went, and I think that it is, um, I don't want to say artistically pure, but it is not an exploitation film. No, not at all. It's not like a cannibal holocaust, where that is a cannibal exploitation film. This is, I think this was a, this was a narrative film. It yes. wasn't to shock you. It wasn't to do anything. It was to tell a story that just so happened to be a little shock. Agreed. And I think they did that job very well, considering the resources they had and considering the time that they did it in. Uh, there were certain things that were really okay. Like, uh, I guess, putting a little bit more nudity in there, which kind of really got you in touch with the, uh, removing you from the old or from the new world and putting you into the old world. But uh, other things maybe were not quite as accepted. I'm trying to think of a really good example of something that they did in this film that at the time wouldn't have really been quite so accepted, but I'm kind of drawing a blank. Well, I mean, just being non-Christian was a big deal. Uh, you're right. You're right. This film was not an exploitation film. No, um, not like a cannibal Holocaust or anything like that where We'll take Cannibal Holocaust, for example. It It's exploiting the cannibal people. It's exploiting the idea of being a cannibal, but it's not artistic. There's not a reason for it. It's just, these are cannibals, and they're going to eat these people. Nah, 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 nah. This was more, this is a ritual sacrifice, and we've led up to this, we foreshadowed this, and... And this is the end result, and it's almost kind of a story in, you know, watching where you're stepping. Absolutely. And while they were doing some things that were more okay then than now, I, I guess we can point more toward, like, the use of nudity to further a story, or put you in a certain place in time, maybe put you into the old world more so than the new world, again, with the kind of old gods, new gods. And mm -hmm. kind of deposing the idea of modern Judeo-Christian Western society with the substitution of an older wiser they perceive it as or they try to portray it as kind of society that is more in tune with nature and less so in tune with the modern world that maybe in the 70s was not a popular idea or less so of a popular idea in the mainstream i agree um i disagree <laughs> just agree. i have nothing to add to that well i think that um the end of the movie is very good i think that it is um I'll go ahead and say moving. I think that the whole plot twist portion of the end of the movie is engaging. And uh, I think that the acting is spectacular. Throughout the whole movie, it's quite good. But specifically here at the end, the interactions between Christopher Lee and um, all the other characters. I mean, Sergeant Howie and the monologue uh, inside of the Wicker Man and around the Wicker Man is so believable. Yeah, because he, he thinks he's going to die and he thinks he's going to go to heaven. So he's, you know, he's praying that he'll have mercy on them and on himself and on the people that are doing this to him. Because the martyr's death means more to them. The, well, the martyr's death means more to him. They don't so? care. They only care that he's a virgin and like all of this. Like he's a pure adult. Interesting. I didn't think about that fact. Yeah, they don't, they don't give a shit. As a matter of hmm. fact, they mock him for being a Christian a lot of this movie. I guess that's true. And again, kind of that switch in the roles. And that's uh, something we see a lot in movies. But this one, I think, is uh, uh, set apart. Mm -hmm. Completely agreed. So is there anything um, you want to add? Or you got any questions? You, you want any, uh, some post-digest? Um, I would say that this movie is very well done. I think that pacing-wise, it was very well done. I feel like we didn't waste any time. And we didn't dwell on anything too much if anything i think i would have liked the reveal to be a little longer like i think i would have wanted a little more of that end scene but i'm happy with what i got hmm. i don't think it's going to be the same next week when we review the um 
the Nicolas Cage remake. I agree. Um, so I'm looking forward to that and to uh, discussing the differences between these films. Um, I do know for a fact that there are a lot more bees in the next version. You know, in anticipation of that part of that movie, um, I made a cocktail this week. Ooh, does it have a lot in it? Because I feel like I'm going to need it to get through this. It'll get you there, but it's actually pretty simple to make. So um, first thing you got to do is get yourself a mason jar. Got to drink this thing out of a mason jar. So, hey, John, what's the name of this cocktail? Oh, yeah. This is called the Summer Island Stinger. Ooh. Yeah. So uh, get yourself a mason jar. Uh, what you're going to want to do is layer ice and some lemon wheels inside of the mason jar and put it in your freezer. Got to chill that stuff out. So then you're going to get your to- uh, cocktail shaker. You're going to put yourself uh, one ounce of lemon juice, one ounce of apple crown royal, and a half ounce of honey whiskey. Uh, you could use like a Jim Beam or a Jack Daniels. This is not super important. And you're going to shake all that stuff up over ice. Then you're going to Take your mason jar out, hopefully really cold at this point, and pour those contents over the ice. Now, this is where it gets good. You're going to take some mead. Uh, I happen to have some like local blackberry mead uh, that a guy I know made that was really, really good for this. But I think any mead will do. And you actually just pour the mead right on top, mix it up, throw some more lemon wheels on top, and you got yourself a cold honey lemon cocktail. Mm, and you know good what? Good for the throat. Very good for the throat. Good for everything. It's so therapeutic. Beautiful. And so ends another chapter of For Your Information. We'll see you next week. Uh, Signing off, I'm Zach. And I'm John. See you next week, guys. Bye-bye.